You know, for over 11 years, Little Diva's balloon decorating has turned events into experiences, and celebrations have been turned into parties. Let Little Divas worry about making your event the best that it can be while you relax and enjoy it. Any event you can imagine, birthdays, anniversaries, weddings, family reunions, graduations, celebrations of life, any event that you can possibly imagine, Little Divas can bring it to life. They specialize in balloon sculptures, cake table archways, and doorway arches. Get a hold of Little Divas right now and make your celebration, reunion, or business function one that people will never forget. Call 606-791-5616. That's 606-791-5616. Or visit them on Facebook.com forward slash Little Diva Party Decorations and see for yourself. Of course, delivery is always available for a slight additional charge. Little Divas, it's where memories begin. A production of Sloan Studios. The following may contain strong language and adult situations with depictions of graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised. It's the things that make your skin crawl. Being in a room alone. And yet, you know you're not alone because you can feel whoever, or whatever, is in that room with you. It's that feeling of breath on your skin, a feeling that no matter how close help is, it's not close enough to save you from what's about to happen. What is about to happen? Well, it all started innocently enough. I mean, you laid your keys down here and you find them over there. Then you see shadows creep out of the corner of your eyes. The sound of your name being called when no one else is there. And then the hairs on your arms begin to stand up and tingle. A feeling of dread when you open the closet door. Or maybe go to do something as simple as clean underneath your bed. Because you don't know what you'll find. But what some people find, however, is history. Historical events that shed light on what you realize that you wish you had never known. These are the Mountain Mysteries. Episode 59, What Lies Beneath, Tales of Hauntings. I will be the last to fall. I won't shed a tear for them to see. Over 24% of the 1.9 billion square acres in America alone, the mountains that so many people call home, also play host to some of the most staggering mysteries in the world. The missing. And she said, I knew I wasn't there anymore. The murdered. All my emotions just went blank, just like, just blank. And I still live with that today. I think about that so much today as he was in that water. Strange creatures. Whatever it was that was standing up. I'm out here looking through the window now and I don't see anything. I don't want to go outside. Uh, I mean, it was a, nope, we need to get out of town. Unexplained lights and sightings. It does not 
not look like an airplane. Okay. They come together and then they separate and they just keep doing this all the time. These stories may be strange. They may be sad. They may be odd. But they are mysterious. These are the Mountain Mysteries. And now your host, Chris Sloan. It's almost like a religion. Some believe it's true, and some don't. But regardless, most people do find it interesting to hear about. And what you're going to hear are some of the lesser-known stories that are alleged to be as factual as a sunset or moonrise. And these stories are certainly something that are interesting to hear and find out more about. We begin our tales in a place where one really wouldn't consider something otherworldly or supernatural to reside. But aren't those always the best places? Number 1. The Haunting of 455A Sackett Street The Terrifying First-Hand Accounts from Previous Tenants If you were walking down the street in Brooklyn, from the outside... 455A Sackett Street looks just like any other Brooklyn apartment. You wouldn't give it a second thought as you passed by it. But this building is host to a long and dark history. The building had been plagued with disturbing history of unexplained fires, the voices of children, and other terrible tragedies over the years. It was in April of 1998 when Jane and her family moved into 455A Sackett Street, completely unaware of its dark history, and this is her story as she told it. She said they moved into the apartment complex when she was 14 years old, on April 1st, 1998, and from the moment they moved in, something was so not right. It was an incredibly dark apartment. Though they should have been thrilled because it was the first apartment that they'd ever lived on with more than one floor. You see, there were three floors to this apartment, including a basement, and it was nice. If you could ignore the feeling of someone standing just behind you and watching you or staring at you wherever you went. Within two weeks of moving in, Jane was raped in her own bedroom by a man from the neighborhood an elderly woman who lived right next door for most of Jane's life informed them that no one had occupied that particular apartment for more than a year at a time since as long as she could remember. She also related terrible tragedies that befell all of the people that had lived there with only a few weeks of moving in, continuing through the day that they had moved out. Now, although Jane said that they all had eerie feelings in this apartment, she said that her family didn't notice anything too weird. The apartment was very uninviting, cold, and damp. She said they tried to decorate it, warm it up a little, but nothing seemed to help. Another thing that was the fact was that no matter what she said they did, they could not get a telephone installed. The family had the phone company over about four or five times trying to fix the wires, but no matter what they did, they'd get absolutely nothing, not even static and that made them feel very isolated. After that, their neighbor confided in them that strange things had always been going on in that building. Seemed like back to the 1930s or 40s, a fire had killed a little boy within a month of the family moving in there, 
And then in the 60s, oh, well, there was a couple that were whacked by the mafia because of some insidious affairs that had been going on. There hadn't been any records because the church's records had been burned up in a fire so they couldn't get any further information than what people had told them. Now, there were other things that happened. A friend of hers said that they came over to an apartment and they saw a little boy in burnt rags staring at her in the bathroom mirror. She ran out crying and refused to set foot in the door again. Another friend who slept over, nope, both friends were not told of the experiences. But this other friend said that she awoke in the middle of the night swearing that she saw a woman walk into the bedroom right through the door. They moved out a year to the day later, as soon as they could find a new apartment. The family found out some more things after that. The people that moved in after them tried to renovate the basement and found the body of a child in the wall. Is that legend? Or is it fact? Well, you can decide. They left suddenly one night not too long after that and never returned. Another couple moved in and left as inexplicably as the last. And so on and so forth to this day. Since then, we met with a woman who had gone to her mother's office. She's a nurse that works in the doctor's office. And she's there because of a nervous condition. She said that her mother noticed the address on her insurance card didn't match the one listed, and the woman explained that she had only lived at 455A Sackett Street for a couple of months when they had to leave because her mother had died, along with various other tragedies from the first week of moving in. She said her mother asked if the woman ever noticed anything weird. Well, the woman explained exactly what had gone on, though. Uh, Perhaps the cause of her condition? The family says that they're all fine now, happy to be out of there and moved on with their lives. They still see their old neighbors once in a while. And she always says the best thing that we ever did was get out of that godforsaken house. Needless to say, we agree. We've not been haunted since and life is good. And there is one thing that was learned from this experience, according to Jane. She said, quote, I'd say it was to trust our instincts. If you get horrible vibes from a place, don't put it off as folly. It might just save you a whole lot of trouble. Number two, the haunted Monte Vista Hotel in Flagstaff, Arizona. Standing on the corner in Flagstaff, Arizona, such a fine sight to see. Well, that, that yeah, that's something different, but uh, located along old Route 66 in Flagstaff is the Hotel Monte Vista. She opened up on New Year's Day, 1927. This historic hotel is listed on the National Register of Historic Places and has been fully restored to its former glory and to this day serves the traveling public. Along with playing host to numerous famous figures over the years, like John Wayne, Bing Crosby, and Harry Truman, it's also apparently home to a number of unearthly figures. This old hotel is one of the very few American hotels built entirely from public taxes. When, in 1924, a man by the name of V.M. Slifer 
spearheaded a local fundraising campaign to build the hotel. In 1924, tourism was a burgeoning business in Flagstaff where lodging was too scarce to keep visitors in town to spend their hard-earned dollars. Slifer's efforts resulted in a city-voted ordinance that established a municipal bond to build the hotel. Well, after its opening, the hotel was popular, not only among the tourists, but also a favorite of the locals who quickly coined the phrase, Meet me at the Monte V. In its first year, the hotel hosted Mary Costigan's daily three-hour radio show from room number 105. Costigan was the first American woman to be granted a radio broadcasting license. Opening during the Prohibition era, this didn't stop the Hotel Monte Vista Lounge from ignoring the law and running a profitable bootlegging operation right out of Flagstaff's most popular speakeasy. But, as it turns out, in 1931, it was raided by local police and other officials and then shut down, only to resume business two years later when Prohibition finally came to an end. For five years, between 1935 and 40, the hotel lounge and lobby also offered a lot of guests a wide range of slot machines to choose from, the only ones ever in Flagstaff. In the 1940s and 50s, Western movies became the choice of the American public, and more than 100 movies were filmed in nearby Sedona and Oak Creek Canyon. During these filmings, the Hotel Monte Vista hosted such famous guests as Jane Russell, Gary Cooper, Spencer Tracy, John Wayne, and Bing Crosby. In one of the rooms of the hotel, a scene from Casablanca was filmed. In fact, it was John Wayne who reported seeing one of the hotel's first ghosts in the late 1950s, describing the spirit as friendly enough. He said this benevolent ghost evidently made a brief appearance in the movie star's room. In the 1970s, three men robbed a Flagstaff bank near the hotel where one of the men was shot during their escape from the bank. Lying low and celebrating their successful robbery, the trio stopped in the Monte Vista Lounge for a drink. But the wounded man's gunshot injury was obviously more serious than any of them had thought, because before he even finished that first drink, he died right there on the spot. Today, staff and guests feel as if this dead bandit is one of the many spirits that haunt the building. One manager reported that he would hear an eerie voice that said hello or good morning when he opened the bar each day. Others have told stories of feelings of a ghostly presence while enjoying a drink in the cocktail lounge. Now, though this might be the ghost of the gunman, the hotel has had such a past of shootings and cowboys on horseback in the lobby and even drunken brawls that they're really not sure. All types of other strange phenomena have been reported at this place by spirits who make noise, move furniture around, and make sudden appearances. They even ring the lobby and telephone bells and knock things over. Both employees and guests alike have heard band music coming from the second floor lobby, and there is no band playing. Reportedly, the staff has become so accustomed to the odd occurrences that it's become kind of a joke to them. In room number 210, called the Zane Gray Room, a lot of people have been woke up in the middle of the night by a phantom bellboy who knocks on the door with a statement that the room service has arrived. However, when the guests go to open the door, they don't see anything there but an empty hallway, not even a glimpse of anyone trying to escape down that long corridor. 
Others have reportedly seen the image of a woman who wanders the halls outside this room. Supposedly, the hotel avoids putting guests with pets in this room because dogs go crazy with fear and tear the room up. This floor is evidently a hub of ghostly activity, as just down the hall in room 220, all types of strange activity has been reported. Evidently, in the early 1980s, the room played host to an eccentric long-term boarder who was known to hang raw meat from the chandelier. Well, sometime later he died in that room. His body was not discovered for several days either, and you know what that means. Well, today guests often complain of hearing coughing and other noises from the otherwise empty room. At one time, after a maintenance man had made several repairs to the room, he turned off the light and locked the door. But then he came back just five minutes later. The light was back on, the bed linens stripped, and the television broadcasting at full blast. The Hotel Monte Vista is the longest publicly held commercial hotel in the history of this country, finally selling to a private individual in the early 1960s. It's located at 100 North San Francisco Street. The old hotel, with its tales of scandal and ghost stories, continue to entertain people to this day. You're listening to The Mountain Mysteries. Follow The Mountain Mysteries on Facebook.com forward slash The Mountain Mysteries, on Instagram at Instagram.com forward slash The Mountain Mysteries, and support us on Patreon. Links are on the homepage, www.themountainmysteriespodcast.com. Stay mysterious. This episode is brought to you in part by Little Diva's Balloon Decorating. You know, for over 11 years, Little Diva's Balloon Decorating has turned events into experiences and celebrations have been turned into parties. Let Little Divas worry about making your event the best that it can be while you relax and enjoy it. Any event you can imagine, birthdays, anniversaries, weddings, family reunions, graduations, celebrations of life, any event that you can possibly imagine, Little Divas can bring it to life. They specialize in balloon sculptures, cake table archways, and doorway arches. Get a hold of Little Divas right now and make your celebration, reunion, or business function one that people will never forget. Call 606-791-5616. That's 606-791-5616. Or visit them on Facebook.com forward slash Little Diva Party Decorations and see for yourself. Of course, delivery is always available for a slight additional charge. Little Divas, it's where memories begin. We now return to the Mountain Mysteries with your host, Chris Sloan. You know, hauntings are like gossip. Tales are told. And stories linger in the midst of something that may be true, and it may not. Now, a lot of times, alleged hauntings can be debunked as loose water pipes, the sounds of a home settling, or some other perfectly natural explanation as to why some things appear to go bump in the night. But Myrtle's Plantation in St. Francisville, Louisiana, roughly about 30 miles north of Baton Rouge, could very well be the home to the region's most alleged ghost per square foot, if you want to measure that kind of thing. In fact, the mansion's former owner, Francis Kermine, 
takes it a step further. She said this place is more haunted than hell. She said the house is the most haunted home in America. Now, Frances and her former husband, yes, I said former, his name's James, bought this plantation turned in back in 1980 after visiting it while on vacation. Well, at the time, they were in their 20s and they didn't know a lot about the property's history at all. By the time they would leave, more than 10 years later, Francis would have what you could only call a trove of otherworldly encounters to rehash and her marriage would be over. Francis chronicled the frightening ordeal in her 2005 book, The Myrtle's Plantation, The True Story of America's Most Haunted House. You see, she moved down to Louisiana first, leaving James behind in California to tie up some loose ends. Now, during that transition between owners, the 28-room Creole cottage-style bed and breakfast continued honoring its guest reservations and the previous innkeeper stayed on to show Francis the ropes. On her second night there, a terrifying encounter left Francis tore up from the floor up. She said, quote, I'd heard footsteps coming up the stairs and I didn't think anything about it. But I left my lights off and I woke up and they were on. So, I turned them off again. Then, the footsteps started up the stairs again. I figured it was one of the other guests, but then the doorknob started rattling and I called out and nobody answered, end quote. Well, of course, she was concerned that someone had tried to come into the place and enter her room, so she made a dash downstairs and once she thought the coast was clear, she tried to wake the owner. Well, he didn't respond. So she got herself a little bit of what we call liquid courage from a few nips of cherry brandy and eventually fell asleep on the sofa. Well, when she got up, she had the feeling somebody was watching her. She said that she looked up and standing over her was a black lady. Her head was wrapped in a green turban. Francis described on this podcast that she could see this woman holding an old-fashioned tin with a loop in it. Although the candlelight was there, but then they lost it. She started screaming. She said, I reached my hand out to touch her, and I could tell that she was a ghost right away because she was see-through, but her hand passed through her, and she faded away. Now, legend has it that a slave girl named Chloe was hanged on that property around 1823 after she served some poison food, allegedly laced with oleander. According to some, that resulted in the death of the lady of the house, Sarah Woodruff, and her two young daughters. But there are other people that indicate Sarah and her kids died of yellow fever. Well, either way, the end result was three people died. General Dave Bradford built Myrtle's plantation, and back then it was called Laurel Grove. That was in 1796 after he was banished from the United States for his involvement in the Pennsylvania Whiskey Rebellion, thus giving him the nickname Whiskey Dave. His wife and five kids joined him there several years later. His daughter Sarah later inherited the house after marrying Judge Clark Woodruff, following the death of his wife and his three kids from either yellow fever or slave insurgents, depending upon who you ask. He sold the property to Ruffin Sterling, who expanded the house and renamed it after the nearby Crepe Myrtles. 
Well, over the course of its 200 and uh, about 21 year history, the Myrtles have seen numerous deaths. Some were natural, others the result of brutal clashes. William Winter was a lawyer who lived there from 1865 to 1871, and he was shot right on the front porch. Rumors allege that he staggered into the house, started going up the stairs, trying to find his wife, and he died on the 17th step up. Yeah, that's a hell of a lot of steps. Modern-day employees and guests have claimed to have heard his, quote, dying steps, end quote, on the stairwell. Well, maybe that's what this lady heard. Anyway, Chloe and William Winter are just two of the nine ghosts Francis says inhabit Myrtles. Though some say numerous murders have happened there, historic records can only confirm the shooting death of Winter. She said that she had thousands of reports from guests in the ten years that she ran the place, and they heard things, saw things, including beds lifting and floating around the room to being chased down the stairs with a broom. Francis told Mysterious Universe podcast that other supernatural sensory effects reported there, including the scent of perfume emanating from an unknown source and distant sounds of babies crying and parties happening, again, with no logical source. Well, the home has stained glass entrances, an original feature, and it bears the emblem of the French cross. The porch and shutters are painted in haint blue. Another superstitious precaution to ward off malevolent spirits, at least back in the day. And as with any good ghost story, of course, the story of Myrtle's Plantation has its critics. A Virginia ghost forum points to a local newspaper reporting of William Winter's death. For example, they said the impact of a single shotgun blast killed him instantly. Or so it says. Well, if that's the case, then... How the hell did he manage to climb 17 steps before he died? You see, for their part, the current owners of the Myrtles Plantation seem to have embraced its place in America as the country's most haunted home. They've dedicated a section of its online presence to history and hauntings and offer daily tours of the plantation's history, mystery, and intrigue. If you dare. Number four, Tinseltown, USA, Hollywood, California. Personally, I've been there and was a little more impressed with the history of the town than anything else. It was back around 2005, 2006, and I was invited to L.A. to participate in a custom bike build, which was less than stellar to my eyes. But traveling just a bit on the 101 freeway to the Hollywood Hills was somewhat of a revered experience. You see, I was able to see those Hollywood Hills where so much glamour and tragedy had occurred. The Sharon Tate murders, Brittany Murphy's death, and it goes on. Of course, I think that was before Brittany died, but it certainly was, or at least seemed to be a place of reverence and a stark reminder that even in the land of stars, everyday bad things could and do happen. Now, we've rounded up a few tales of serial killers, tragic endings, untreated mental illnesses, and infanticide. Oh, and did we mention that this all happened at the exact same place? Well, welcome to Los Angeles, California's Cecil Hotel. Trust us when I tell you that I'm interpreting over a lot of awful stories as we skip forward in time 
from 1947 to 1984. Richard Ramirez, you may know him better as the Night Stalker, was the terror of coastal California from around April of 84 to August of 85. In less than a year and a half, this guy killed no less than 38 people ages 9 to 83 in a killing spree that spread all the way from Orange County to San Francisco. Now, when he was operating in L.A., his base of operations was, you guessed it, the Cecil Hotel. He even disposed of evidence, including bloody clothes, in the hotel's dumpster. The Night Stalker has a pretty high name recognition, and his crimes were, well, they were pretty sickening. But the story of Jack Untenweger has another particularly creepy wrinkle in it. He was an Australian serial killer and committed his first murder in his home country in 1974 and was convicted and sentenced for his crime. About 10 years later, he was, uh, well, he was known to have released a book or a memoir, as he called it, entitled Purgatory or the Trip to Jail, Reports of a Guilty Man. Well, it became a bestseller and helped convince officials that he had reformed. Spoiler alert, he didn't. It was just the cops that he'd fooled. His story was soon told as an example of the prison system's success, and eventually he began working as a journalist and public broadcasting host on the true crime beat. His specialty? The heinous murders of sex workers, just like the crimes that he had performed that led to his conviction. Can you imagine this? In 1991, he checked into the Cecil to cover a story about a street crime in L.A. Now, while he was in the city, three different sex workers were attacked and killed in a way that very much looked like Unterwager's crime. And police were able to definitely tie the journalists to the murders. But maybe the thing that disturbed most of us, most of all, was the fact that as police on both sides of the Atlantic began to look more closely and look at the evidence in the case... They realized this guy had also committed many of the very same murders that he had covered on air. Yeah. You see, many suspect that he chose the Cecil specifically because of its connection to Ramirez or the Night Stalker, but it's impossible to tell that. Unterweger killed himself in prison just after his second conviction, tying the ligatures with the same distinctive knot that he used on all of his victims. I don't know if you would just call that poetic justice or justice, but... You might not be surprised to learn that in 2011, the proprietors of the Cecil Hotel did their dead-level best, no pun intended, to shrug off the history that they had by rebranding themselves and taking on a new name. It was called Stay on Main. Well, that flew like the Hindenburg. They weren't able to leave behind the horror. 21-year-old Canadian tourist... Eliza Lamb, who was a beautiful young girl. Now, she wasn't murdered, but her death is one of the most haunting in the building's history. In February of 2013, an employee discovered her body floating naked in the water tanks on the hotel's roof, and this had been weeks after she had gone missing. Everybody was looking for this girl. Her flyers were posted on every single phone and light pole in Los Angeles, not to mention where she was from in Canada. Her family came from Canada begging for help. Nobody could find her. Nobody had a clue. She left behind everything, her clothes, her wallet, all of this stuff, and nobody knew where she was at, only to find out that she was right there 
in the water tanks on the roof. Now, I really don't get this, but the case was ruled as an accidental drowning. But there's some strange elements that cast this event in a light that, uh, well, you can't call it understandable. For example, to get to the roof, Lamb would have needed a staff key. That wasn't found anywhere near her body. Her cell phone was also mysteriously missing, both from her body and from her room. Nobody ever did find that. But the most disturbing aspect is the video. The night that Elisa Lamb disappeared, a security camera in an elevator caught about four minutes of extremely weird footage, disturbing even. She ducks into this elevator, crouches low like she's trying to hide from somebody, presses herself up against the wall, and occasionally peeks out of the hallway as if she's looking for somebody that's chasing her. She pushes all kinds of these buttons, right? But the elevator doesn't move. And the door remains open. At one point, she even steps out into the hallway and begins gesticulating as if speaking with someone. But nobody's there. I mean, yeah, it could have been somebody just off camera, but that camera had a pretty wide lens. Was she experiencing a mental health crisis? Possibly? At this point, there's really not a way to know anything for sure, but we do know that the next time we go to Los Angeles or the next time I go to L.A., I'm damn sure not staying at the Cecil. I'm Chris Sloan for the Mountain Mysteries. Don't miss the gatherings every Thursday night on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, Twitter. Anywhere that you can find videos pretty much that I can think of to find and put this thing, we're going to put them. A lot of the topics are above the norm and not just covering what we talk about here on the Mountain Mysteries, but it's kind of taking on a life of its own. And if there's any way that you could, please support us on Patreon. You'll find our links on the homepage at www.themountainmysteriespodcast.com. That is themountainmysteriespodcast.com. We sure could use your help as a Patreon supporter, or you can leave a one-time donation on there. And let's help keep these stories coming. After all, the people that we talk about, they are worth it. And so are you. Support the Mountain Mysteries on Patreon and get early access to all episodes. With three tiers, it's easy to choose what you want. Five and ten dollar tiers get you early access, plus free gear, behind the scenes bonus content and more. Plus access to interviews that would have wound up on the cutting room floor. Find out links on www.themountainmysteriespodcast.com and on facebook.com forward slash the mountain mysteries. Support the Mountain Mysteries and stay mysterious. If you enjoy The Mountain Mysteries, please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. That helps us so much. You can also help support The Mountain Mysteries by visiting our sponsors, whose links are below, or by donating at Patreon or the PayPal link shown in the notes. Patreon subscribers will receive early commercial-free episodes and more.
a production of Sloan Studios. Stay mysterious.